For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you've given your only begotten Son to take our nature upon him and to be born of a pure virgin. Grant that we who have been born again and made your children by adoption and grace may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom with you and the same Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Please be seated for our readings. A reading from Isaiah. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of the Lord. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rear guard. The word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. To the which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of unrighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has appointed you 
with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's right hand. He has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Be seated. Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas. Allow me to welcome you to Church of the Cross. Uh, my name is Joel Bascom. I'm a pastor on staff here. Welcome to all of you who are visiting. Uh, it's a privilege to have you share your Christmas Eve with us. And we hope that you have a wonderful celebration of the coming of the Messiah to this world. Twenty twenty two has been a year for me with a lot of noise. It has been a year when I have had a new love also of how God speaks in silence. Tonight I want to focus on the glory of quiet. Silence sometimes is painful and hard. But I want to bring to mind how so often God uses silence for good. Let's pray. Look down, O Lord, from your heavenly throne. Illumine this night with your celestial brightness. And from the children of light, banish the deeds of darkness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
1984, a German filmmaker named Philip Groening wrote a, a letter to a group of monks who lived in the French Alps. He wanted to make a film documenting their lives. The monks told him they wanted time to think about it. Sixteen years later, the monks of the monastery wrote back to Groening and told him he could come and film if he was still interested. In the winter of 2002 and 03, Groening lived in the monastery and filmed the lives of these monks. The result was the documentary film Into Great Silence. And while it's certainly no popcorn movie, it is worth watching. The film depicts these monks as they're going through their everyday lives in quiet contemplation and solitude. It shows them doing chores and work around their home. It shows them in times of prayer and worship. And for the most part, the camera stays very close to them. Until, very close to the film's end, the monks all suit up. We watch them go outside and into the snow. And from a distance, we can see a group of six to ten monks sledding. At one point, two of them, both on small sleds, begin sledding in a collision course with each other, racing. As the two monks reach their common destination, the entire group erupts into raucous laughter. These monks, who lived fulfilled and joyful lives, did so with great silence, but also with a joyful noise. And speaking of joyful noise, it's Christmas Eve. Christmas can be a very joyfully noisy time of year. And it can be a time of a lot of mixed emotions for people. It has certainly been that way for me. But the older I have gotten, it has surprised me to say that Christmas has become my favorite holiday. I say that it's surprising. Why? A lot of people love Christmas. Well, there's a couple of reasons. I've spent many years in the retail world as an employee at Trader Joe's. Those years, at times, have chipped away at the joy I have felt in December. The pressures of business and busyness and all the preparations made the run-up to Christmas as a time with a lot of distractions. The number of times I had to think about how many toffee tins to order or sea salt caramels. Touch of PTSD there, sorry. But even before my time in the retail world, the surge of busyness and events began to chip away at the joy I thought I was supposed to feel. The obligations, bills for gifts, and endless scurrying left me wondering, why do we do this every year? But, as I said, Christmas has triumphed and still edged ahead in my imagination as my favorite part of the church year. And I think the reason for that is to be found in the extravagant silence of Christmas. When I was a teenager, a family tradition, I think, planted the seed in me. My family attended an evangelical free church in Fullerton, California during my teenage years. Each year, my mom, dad, sister Faith, and I would leave our quiet home with the soup and the bread and the Christmas carol viewing, and we would make our way to church at 11.30 p.m., the sanctuary would be candlelit. A harpist was usually featured. It was a simple, quiet ceremony. There were times even when it was really a challenge to stay awake. Our pastor, Pastor Chuck, would sit up front with the minister of music, 
we would hear the nativity story and sing quiet songs. We probably sang loud ones too, but I don't remember that. And then each year at precisely midnight, Pastor Chuck would close us in prayer and say, may I be the first to wish you a very Merry Christmas. We would go home in the quiet of the wee hours, and often I would watch the Mass in Rome. The joy of the celebration will follow the next day with all the appropriately loud celebrations. But the quiet of Christmas Eves of my youth made an impact. Despite my initial bad attitude, those first few years as my parents peeled me off the couch at 11 p.m. to go to church, I couldn't know how much it would end up meaning. And the more I read the scriptures, the more I see beautiful moments of silence. Our gospel text tonight is the marvelous prologue of the Apostle John to his gospel. In this text, I want to explore two major things about it that I think expose part of the beauty of Christmas. First, that the prologue begins and ends with our triune God, fully satisfied in himself, and we can see quiet in that. And second, between the beginning and ending, we see both the symphony of God's work and the cacophony of human sin. And even in that, there is quiet to be seen and relished. So let's go. Verses 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 18. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. These three verses tell us a lot about God, and they sort of bookend this passage. We can see that God was and is totally self-sufficient. He doesn't need us or any of his creatures. And I like to think that there is very little noise in this state of existence. Extravagant silence. If this triune God is totally self-sufficient as this passage portrays and reflects, what would he need to say or do? In these verses, we see existence. We see loving relationship. But we don't see us, do we? The fancy theological term we use for this is God's aseity, his self-existence. This self-existence was and is a meaningful unity between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, delighting in each other. They are so close that the Son, who's always by his Father's side, can totally and fully explain the Father and make him known. In fact, Jesus even said once, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Even a look at the Scriptures show a tremendous value and the presence of God in silence. I'm going to read a few passages. 1 Kings 19, 11-12. And he said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. 
Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Luke 4.1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Mark 6.31 and 32, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. These small moments in the scripture can go by so quickly as we read, but they remind us that we can find God in silence and that Jesus himself retreated to that for fellowship with his loving Father. He cherished that silence, even in the midst of his exciting and fulfilling work. But now, between the bookends, let's look at verses 3 through 17. These verses show us a God who creates for his good pleasure. We don't really know why God created, other than the fact that it is his nature to be creative. We can't look into God's mind and decide why he discern why he decided to do all this. But he did. And verses 3 through 17 give us a snapshot of the breadth of the creation. They show us a God who, when the darkness does not comprehend him, he does not stop being light. They show us a God who will break the silence to create and to redeem. They show us a God of love. A God who created, who loved to create and did it for his own glory. And we see God's creation in action. There are two names mentioned in this prologue, John the Baptist and Moses. John the Baptist is a man who always is linked to the Christmas story. He sort of breaks the silence in this prologue. He bears witness. Moses had brought the word of God to the people in the Torah, as is shown in verse 17. These two symbolize to us ways God had borne witness to the world, even before the word became flesh. The law and the prophets. God spoke through them. But something was still dreadfully wrong. Even though the Word and the light Himself made the world and knew all of them and spoke to them, the world did not know Him back. Verses 11 through 13. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In fact, two chapters later in this same gospel, the Apostle John records a leader named Nicodemus being puzzled by the notion of being born again. And Jesus famously responds to him, you're a teacher and you don't understand this? The people of Israel and of this world were always being beckoned. The law and the prophets were instruments of the word And when people believed, God gave them the right to become children of God. People born not of the flesh or of the blood, but of the will of God. And this is also seen in our Hebrews reading. All those years, God used his mouthpieces, the prophets, long ago, and in many ways, in sundry ways, in diverse manners. But Jesus is the perfect representation of God. The picture of John the Baptist, Moses, And of a people who hear the word but do not receive it, to me, 
is a picture of the history of humanity. But why are we here tonight? Because in a great climactic moment, the Word became flesh and dwelled with us. It is important for us to make a joyful noise about that. Joy to the world, hark the herald angels sing. Go tell it on the mountain, Jesus Christ is born. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This God, being perfectly content in Himself, is also pure love. And as Jesus also says to Nicodemus two chapters later, He loved His world so much, He gave us Himself. Verses 3 through 17 show us a lot of action. Creation, fall, redemption, glory. We see the whole range of humanity in all its beauty and tragedy. And thanks to the Gospel of Luke, we know more about this word becoming flesh. We, we see in Luke's famous story, shepherds and angels, there were animals. The city of Bethlehem was so full that the only place a baby could be laid was in a manger. A lot of action. So my question Why do we sing Silent Night every year? We sing it because even in all the action in these stories, there are gorgeous moments of quiet. The nativity happens in obscurity, quietly, and in an ordinary way. The angels appearing to the shepherds must have interrupted their relatively quiet night of work. And at the end of all the hubbub are a mother, a father, and a baby. Simple ordinary, quiet. So few knew the glory that would come from this baby's life. If God sent his only son into the world in this kind of quiet obscurity and lack of fanfare, surely we can see the value of reflecting on these things quietly and in our hearts, as Jesus' mother did. So when I was thinking about what was on my heart this year, Christmas, I I just kept coming back to quiet. The beginning and ending of John's prologue has all the markings of this. Again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. At no point did God need to create anything. He freely creates and freely enters into a loving relationship with His creation With word and light comes creation. Noise is made, visibility comes, the world and all else emanates from the word, the second person of the Trinity. Human cacophony and tragedy have put us in danger. Grief and lament are harrowing noises of our world. But at one remarkable moment, in one little crowded town, This second person entered the world as a helpless baby named Jesus. And this is worth singing about at the top of our lungs. Jesus has made a world full of sights and sounds and stories that are worthy of loud praise and exclamation. At the same time, my challenge this Christmas to you is to find time to be silent about it too. God speaks in extravagant silence. Just as those monks broke their silence for the joy of sledding, so we can cease our joyful noise and be quiet on this Christmas Eve.
As I take the baton from the pastor of my youth, Pastor Chuck, I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. But I want to close my message not in a word of prayer, but in silence. I know we have a crowded sanctuary with many of our young siblings present, but let's look around this beautiful sanctuary and spend one moment in Christmas silence. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.